Thank you. Please sit down. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you to our worship team and leading us, everybody involved throughout the church and ministry and stuff. Thank you. A lot of things are happening, and we're excited about that. And one of the main things, of course, is we're excited about the Spirit of God moving, and He's moving in our hearts and our lives and in Tucson, and we're excited to be a part of what God is doing. And I want to share with you just um, a little bit before we get into the message today to say a thank you in so many ways. We have some shirts available that are on, on, online for sale today. If you're having some problems with your um, uh, being able to order them, you can go back to the tech booth. They know everything, and they can fix all your problems and uh, make that happen today. We... <laughs> We have had so much stuff going on this week. It's been a, a lot happening, and I just want to say thank you to everybody involved. First off, I will tell you that this week I had some of my uh, pastoral uh, leadership above me, my pastor and other people in, uh, in our district of churches that were coming through Tucson to see our church. And when they came, we had it completely ripped apart to show it to them, and uh, it was pretty awesome because uh, everything in here was down. All of the projectors were down all the screens were down on the floor all the chairs were picked up and moved everything all the lights everything was completely dismantled um for that little tour so we were saying like hey <laughs> i guess you'll have to come back on a sunday or something to check out what god's doing so we're not done but i want to say how good god is in so many ways um Angela works back here in the in the tech booth uh, most Sundays, and she's around here, and she has a, a job at a halfway house. She works with the former inmates coming out, and uh, as she's working over there, some of that community there uh, was desiring to have a Bible study, and she reached out to me and said, hey, is there anybody that would be interested in doing a Bible study here with the, uh, there's both male and female housing over there, coming out of prison back into society. And with that, they said they wanted to volunteer to help us out, and if there's anything they could do here. And uh, as you know, our uh, grounds had been infested with weeds like everybody else's with the winter rains and all that we've been blessed with. And uh, Dave is our um, landscaper, and his wife has been going through chemo and treatment for cancer, and she's in remission, and we praise God that that just happened within the last two weeks. Um, well, because of the great demands on their life and time, things here got out of hand. As you know, it can happen at your house. And that group of people volunteered and came over here on Monday, and we picked them up with our vans. And there was 16 from there and about seven or eight of our church members that came out here and just completely went through the whole property and cleaned it up. And it looks amazing. And just my heart was so blessed at God opening that door and to have uh, the opportunity for us to go and share Jesus there in the Word of God. And so what was majorly amazing about that and so awesome is how God opened the door for us to take the gospel into that setting and uh, Brad and Penny are out there. They greet you outside at the gate. Um, Brad's the one with the ponytail. Uh, Penny, Penny leaves hers out. Uh, <laughs> and so Brad and Frank stands in the door back there. Big Frank's got long hair with the hat on back there. And, and so Brad and Frank uh, went and put their background checks, and they're going to go into that place and start leading a life recovery Bible study in that facility over there starting very shortly. And so it's amazing how God's opening doors for us. That's so cool. And I just want to say thank you, Jesus. Isn't that awesome? That's amazing. You know, we're blessed with the gospel rescue mission, with the male and the female units, and you guys are a thrill to us, and we love you, and the opportunity to go and work with them, and uh, I'm excited about all that God is opening doors for as we 
become the body of Christ functioning as we're supposed to in the community. And so we're very grateful about those things that God's doing. And then while that was all going on, as we ripped this all apart to do this, so many of our uh, people volunteered their time every day this week from morning to night. We were in here uh, trying to get everything together so we could have church today until late last night, just trying to, we know that that's not even, you don't have to tell us. Uh, we know that there's a little things that need to get fixed. We're not done. We're just praising God because we're functional today because you would have never known that um, the last few days that we'd even be able to have church. So uh, it's awesome. And I'm so, we are a very blessed church with so many people that volunteer their times, their talents, and their resources all for the glory of God. And I want you to make sure that you thank all of our tech people whom usually you don't know are there until something doesn't work right. Um, and I call them out on it and say, hey, Linda, what are you doing back there? Uh, or something like that. That's when you know that they're there. But they do so much for us all the time, and they're all volunteers. None of them are paid staff. Uh, even many of them left jobs this week, not quitting, but I'm saying took time off to be here to do the work, to get the things set up. And we're not done yet, and so there's more to do this week. And so if you have time and talents and resources... Uh, you can let us know, and we'd be happy to try and work with you as well as we finish everything up. God's good, man. It's amazing. So yeah, thank you guys. Thank you so much. Last week we had, the, it, it seems like a month ago, I was like going through stuff this morning, and last Sunday we had that lunch and learn thing, and I'm like, man, that seemed like, you know, last month, it's been so long this week, but that was just last Sunday, and we had 53 people sign up to volunteer to do various ministry things and all that, and yeah. So we're excited about what God's doing and, and the things that he has open for us. So church, you know, in two weeks, it's already going to be Easter. I mean, is that crazy or what? That it's in two weeks from today. It's April 7th. It's also going to be almost tax time in case you didn't know that just to bless you again. <laughs> Let's talk about Easter, not tax time. All right. So we're very grateful for what God's doing. I want to encourage you that each week we ask you some accountability questions. One of those, have you invited someone to church? You're sharing God's story with people. We're supposed to be sharing our faith with people all the time. Living the life of Jesus Christ out there in the world and letting them know about this amazing Savior and inviting them into the house of God to be part of the body of Christ. That's what we're supposed to do. And as we look at Easter, Christmas um, has a spinoff on it with uh, some people that are all secularized with Santa Claus and all that about ourselves. And, and some of the world forgets about Jesus. Well, Easter's all about Jesus. You know, the Easter bunny hasn't taken it over and all that stuff. This is about Jesus, and we know it. We'll have a good Friday service and Easter Sunday services, and I just want to take every advantage we can to share the amazing story of Christ's love for the world. And take advantage of it, church. Let's reach these people that God has placed within our context to let them know about this amazing Savior Jesus. Last week, I was texted by a couple individuals, and I know of five people that gave their lives to Christ outside of this church building. I'm talking about the living faith of Christ happening in people's homes in our church. Those are just the ones that I heard about this week. And man, that is what it's all about. That's the, the church in Acts happening today, and we need that to be happening all the time. People giving their lives to Christ outside and coming back to the church to celebrate who Christ is together. Amen? That's what it's all about. That's what we say. We're, we're, radiate. we're called to radiate the love of Christ, to reach the lost and the saved, restore them into fully mature followers of Christ. That's what those little signs mean when you see them radiate, reach, and restore. It's a call to us to remind us we're supposed to be out there doing this thing, right? Yeah. That's what we're supposed to be doing. All right, church, so I hope you are. You spending time in God's Word. Did you do that this week? If you did, say yes. 
to spend some time alone with him in prayer, not with your own agenda, but just to be with him. Did you do that this week? Yes. Do you know what the Holy Spirit's saying to you? Yes. Are you doing it? Yes. Are you not doing it? I mean, it might be he's telling you not to do something. I want to make sure we're clear on that, right? Are you giving as God has asked you to give, time, talents, and resources? Are you all in? Yes. All right. You invite someone to church with you this week? There's some of those in, uh, come join us cards right here. And that's like a segue. We don't want you to just tell people come to church. We want to tell them that you know Jesus. We want you to share God's stories with them and let them know where you fellowship and come to church and meet Jesus and all that kind of stuff, okay? So we're uh, called by God to reach one. Each one of us reach one and teach somebody about this amazing Savior, Jesus Christ. So that's our goal for this year. We've been talking about the Spirit-led life. <clears throat> we want to continue to talk about that today. And I love it. And... Um, I want, to, I want to say that uh, as I get ready to share the message of this morning, in the church that I grew up in, um, we were a Christian faith, Bible-based, all about Jesus. We talked about the Holy Spirit, but I have to tell you that from my perspective growing up, and later I pastored the same church I grew up in. My father was the pastor of that church. I pastored that church, and I'm going to tell you that the church as a whole was somewhat afraid of the Holy Spirit and what he would say, do, or make you do, or act, ask you to do, or what would happen if he did something in you. So there was a fear of the Holy Spirit in the church. There is. And I'm letting you know, church, that that fear exists in many churches today and in many people's hearts because we've heard so many crazy things about the Holy Spirit. We've heard about people doing, in our opinion, crazy things under the influence of the Spirit or being slain by the Holy Spirit and doing things, okay? So what's happened in the Christian community and even in the secular world when they talk about this, the holy rollers and all that kind of stuff is there's this desire and understanding that God tells us to be Spirit-filled, to be led by the Spirit, but we have so much of this confusion of what does that mean that we sometimes can avoid it due to fear of or lack of trust but the spirit of god is not here to abuse you he's not here to mess you up he's not here to make you look like a fool he's actually here to make you whole and so we don't have to be afraid of the holy spirit church i want us to start off today by embracing him he loves you jesus said he would send him to us so that you and i could live the christian life so that he would give us the power we need to live the Christian faith, so that we could be the light to the world. We do not have to be afraid of the Spirit of God. We need to embrace him because it is in the fullness of the Spirit of God that I live a full life. The absolute redemption of God is only available because the Holy Spirit is in me. It's the only way. Jesus said so. He said, I have to go to the Father. I have to go so that I could send the advocate, the Holy Spirit, the comforter, the guide, the paraclete, the one. I have to do this so that he will lead you into all truth. He's going to convict the world of sin. He's going to convict the believers of righteousness to know that you can live a righteous life. And he's going to judge and he's going to convict everyone to understand we're going to give account to God someday. So that is absolutely necessary. The trifecta of the Spirit of God's work, conviction of sin, conviction of righteousness, conviction of a coming judgment. It's the reality that we need to understand and embrace, church. So if you're a sinner, 
The Spirit of God is convicting you of your sin and calling you to join with God in relationship. If you're a believer, the Holy Spirit is convicting you of righteousness, saying you need to live this life that God has called you to live and that it is available because the Holy Spirit is within you, empowering you and making you live it. He is also convicting all of us with the realization that this is not what it's all about. And there's going to be a day where every one of us stand before the creator of the universe and give account of our life. Man, God, that is amazing stuff. And so as we embrace that fullness of the Spirit and the Spirit-led life, I want to share with you this verse that we have been reading every single week for several weeks now, and we do again today in Romans chapter 8. Hopefully in your quiet time, you've been able to read chapters 6, 7, and 8 for yourselves in one setting in Romans. It's amazing. But I want to read this one verse because it gets us the foundation to where God is leading us here in the service and where he's been taking us. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. Church, he is addressing believers. You are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you live, if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. So, you're either a Spirit-led believer or you're not saved in the first place. (laughs) All right, embrace it. That's the Word of God. He said you're either in it or you're out of it. You have it or you don't. You're either living for yourself or you're living for God. There's only, that's just the way it is. And so if you're a Spirit-led believer, you're filled by the Spirit of God and He's leading you. So the Spirit-led life is the life of a believer. If you're a Christ follower, you are Spirit-led. If you're not Spirit-led, you need to repent. And let the Spirit of God lead you. It's no longer about your flesh and yourself. And we know that as we study in the Scriptures, we know what the Spirit-led life is all about. It's about all these things. Times of challenge and times of peace. Times of want and times of abundance. We know this because when we saw the very first Spirit-led life, which is Jesus... We watched him get baptized in Matthew chapter 3 and the Spirit of God fell on him. John the Baptist testifies and says that God told me the one I see the Spirit falling in his form of a dove is the one. He saw that and he testified as I saw the Spirit descending like a dove upon him. When the Spirit fell on Jesus at his baptism, the voice of God spoke out from heaven and said, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. There was that moment where everybody's like, that's the Lamb of God. That's the Savior of the world. And the very next thing we see is Jesus being led by the Spirit in the wilderness to be tempted for 40 days. So when we see that, we understand the Spirit-led life isn't all about the euphoric moments where God speaks. The Spirit-led life involves every aspect of life, even those moments where we're being tempted and challenged living in the world. The Spirit-led life says you're going to go through all kinds of stuff, but the stability of your life is in the Spirit-led life of a believer, your redemption through Christ that God has given to you. Church, that's the Spirit-led life. It's not a secluded, safe life. It's real life. And it holds you through all the storms of life and everything you face. That's what the Word of God is telling us, and we need to embrace that fully. So whatever you're going through, don't associate what's happening around you with your spiritual life. You are a child of God being spirit-led no matter what's happening around you. You need to embrace Him and let the Spirit of God hold you. All right, so as we see that then, the only way to live for God in this world is to live 
a spirit-led life. You cannot live a, a Christian life any other way. You can't do it in your flesh. Your flesh is all about you. To be spirit-led is to be live, living the Christian life for every one of us. And it is for all of us, okay? So as we're looking at what God's saying to us about the spirit-led life, we want to look in Matthew chapter 18 this morning and starting in verse 21. We're going to talk about a subject that we often talk about in church, and I've preached about it actually a few times in recent months, and God brought us to this topic on purpose today for another aspect of dealing with issues within our life as Christians, okay? So let's read what the Word of God is saying in this confrontation, in this moment with Peter and Jesus. Then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but seventy times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with the servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay. So his master ordered that he be sold, along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. But the man fell down before the master and begged him, Please be patient with me, and I will pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him and released him and forgave his debt. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it. He pleaded, but his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man who had been forgiven and said, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt that you, because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. That's what my heavenly father will do for you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. That's a powerful teaching right there. That's like some strong words, church. Jesus here is, uses a story to teach the necessity of forgiveness. And Peter, coming with a genuine concern, this is not a knock on Peter at all. I see this as a genuine heart, as I don't even know, God, what do I need to do in my forgiveness? When he says, how many times should I forgive him? Seven times? I mean, think about it. How, how willing are you to forgive someone that continuously offends you? And so Peter's saying, where's the limit? Where do I draw the line? When do I stop forgiving? And when do I hold them accountable? That's basically what he's asking. And Jesus says, you don't, Peter. There's no line. <laughs> so Jesus gives a real-life situation to teach us uh, a few things here. It's not about the size of the need of forgiveness. And it's also something that says to each and every believer in this room, you and I are so grateful for all that God has forgiven us. But oftentimes, we who have been forgiven of so much are holding the throat of someone else because we don't want to forgive them for their offense. That's exactly what Jesus is talking about here. It's like, man, look what God has done for me. Oh, God, thank you for forgiving me. Now, God, judge that jerk over there what he's talking about right Peter's like alright I've done it seven times now can I punch him no nope. <laughs> I mean he's asking where's that line 
And Jesus is saying, there isn't one, Peter. There isn't one. You've received this amazing forgiveness from God, and that's this kind of forgiveness you're supposed to live in, that loving, gracious spirit of forgiveness. We don't deserve it, church. We already know we didn't deserve God's forgiveness. We know there are people around us that don't deserve to be forgiven. It's not about that. There's a real debt, all right? I want you to hear that in the context of the story. This guy owed a huge debt and was forgiven. This guy still owed a debt. He did. There was still something owed. But Jesus is telling us, it doesn't matter what's owed. It's how we deal with the situation that matters. Okay, so now, as Jesus does this, he's talking to us about offense. He's talking to us about wrongs. He's talking about our hearts and what's going on and what causes the offense. And it's all about 100% forgiveness, living in the grace and the love that God has for you and I and what we are supposed to have for everyone around us. So we obviously have talked about forgiveness multiple times. We looked at the Lord's model prayer. And in that prayer, he says for us to pray, Lord, forgive us as we forgive others, right? And then he emphasized that afterwards, the Lord's only going to forgive you. God's going to only forgive you the same way you forgive other people. And so this is the same context that we're talking about as we reemphasize the aspect of what God is talking to us about forgiveness and that God requires forgiveness. Okay, church, please understand that. God requires forgiveness of us, not just for us. So when we look at that today, I want to revisit this topic. I mean, I believe God wants us to to revisit this um, in the context of sometimes we can um, deceive ourselves into thinking that it's okay for me to hold somewhat of a resentment against someone that has wronged me. And the Word of God teaches us that we can't. And that by holding an offense in my heart, what I'm really holding is unforgiveness which is withholding the love of God, which is the act of flesh, which is not the Spirit. And therefore, when I hold resentment towards, then I hold myself in esteem, and I do not release the love and the forgiveness that God has released on me. And Jesus clearly says to us, that's the way I'm going to hold you accountable then. So church, it's time we let go of the throat of the people around us, and begin to see ourselves the way God does, and then see them the way God sees them. So here's the thing. It's not just the forgiveness of others, but it's also the forgiveness of self. And I have to tell you that a lot of times we struggle as much with forgiving ourselves as we do other people. And when I look in the scriptures and the teachings of Jesus, I want us to bring this point out before we move on. And it says this, one of the teachers of the religious law was standing there listening to the debate, and he realized that Jesus had answered well. So he asked, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this, listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. So when we look at that context of what Jesus is talking about, living the Christian life is all about living for God, with God, with others, and self. It's what the faith is all about, right? 
So a lot of times we can um, somewhat gloss over that aspect of what Jesus says right here. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is not talking about an arrogance about I think I'm somebody or I think I'm amazing. That's not loving yourself. That's a self-righteous, hypocritical uh, view of yourself. And that's not what this is all about. Loving yourself is understanding who you are in Christ. Understanding that I don't have to measure up to your standard of what you think I ought to be, what I need to look like, what I'm supposed to act like in your context. Loving myself is understanding who I am in Christ and the fact that God loves me and he loves me enough that he wants to transform and change me when I walk with him. He is actively working with me and I feel confident in who I am in Christ. Look, I can, yeah, that's what he's addressing when he says love your neighbor as yourself i can look in the mirror i see all my flaws i know i have them i know who i am i see the problems i see myself falling apart i know my own personality i know the issues of dave okay i want you to know i understand that and i see that but in all that context where i could give you a list of things i wish were different about how i looked who i am my personality the fact that I'm losing my hair and it drives me crazy. All those kinds of things, right? I mean, I, I'm... Yes. Never mind. Yeah, it does. I will, brother. I've been thinking about it, just shaving it all off. Anyway. No, anyway. Just kidding. Let's not get lost there. Here's the thing. What, I, what I'm trying to say is, it doesn't... This is the thing. I know who I am in Christ and I'm fully content and I am embracing who God made me as he's transforming and changing me. And that's not going to change what I'm going to become as I fall apart. But I'm going to stay together within and be very comfortable in who God's made me to be. And we need to stop living for other people's standards and accept who God made me and be comfortable in who I am in Christ. And there's where our foundation of love comes from. And so he says, that's the only way I'm going to love other people is when I can love myself the way God loves me, I can then love you the way you are. Okay, so God's healing us of that. So the way it happens is I have to see you with forgiveness and love. So all of your external flaws, all of your internal flaws, all of your offenses, I'm going to love you through them. Jesus is telling us this is the key to the Christian life. And we need to understand, church, that as we do this, sometimes it's the hardest person to forgive is me. I... I will tell you that not everybody here, of course, we're, we struggle with the same things. I know that. But sometimes we're the hardest on us. And so as we look at this aspect of forgiveness, not only do I have to forgive other people, but I have to forgive myself, and I have struggled with this in the past, myself and my Christian walk. So as I'm walking with God and I'm growing in my faith, God is revealing things about me. You you've know, I, I've talked with you many times about the huge issues that I, I, I'm talking about huge issues to Dave that I've had to forgive and let go of uh, with various people and circumstances of my life and things that have happened against me and to me. And so you come to those points where you have to forgive. And God leads you. And as you're walking in your faith, he'll bring you to those places. This is the faithfulness of the Spirit. Remember when we were talking about that? How Jesus said he's going to convict you of sin then of righteousness. So when the Jesus explained that, he said he's going to convict of righteousness because the righteous life is available. 
So the, the growth in the walk of a believer as we are spirit-led is the Spirit of God is leading me into Christ-likeness. And so He's bringing things to my mind and heart that I need to release so that I can reflect Christ better. And so if I'm harboring unforgiveness in my heart, there's no way I can be Christ-like. I don't know everybody that I'm, I've been offended to or I've been offended by or anything. You know, I mean, come on, I can't even remember what lunch was Thursday, right? So I'm... <laughs> I'm living my life and the Spirit of God brings me into this place and He brings something to my heart in my time of worship or prayer or reading of the Word of God or whatever's going on or that person maybe shows up. And it's like, what about that? And the Spirit of God is revealing that to me so that I can release forgiveness for that person. That doesn't mean they've asked. That doesn't mean they deserve it. What He's saying is, Dave, get your hand off their throne. Stop demanding that they pay for that offense that you're holding in your heart. Now, what happens when I'm the offender? And I'm walking in my Christian life and the Spirit of God has asked me to do something and I haven't done it. That's called sin, by the way. And the Spirit of God is calling me and I'm a pastor and He's saying, go and talk to that person, Dave. Go and talk to that person, Dave. And Dave's so uncomfortable in his own self, in his own flesh, in who he is. And he's still struggling with his own um, introvertedness. And when the Spirit of God's saying, you need to go talk to that person about their soul, you need to challenge them, you need to talk to them, and I'm making every excuse, and I'm avoiding that person, I'm avoiding that conversation, I'm talking to God about why it's important that someone else does it, and all these things, and that person died. And I never went. And so here I'm talking about forgiveness, so stay with me. So here I am. I'm pastor in a church. I'm asked to do the funeral of this person that I didn't go talk to. Nobody knows. Nobody. Just the Spirit of God and Dave. I don't think I even said anything to my wife. Actually, I know I didn't. I'm hurting inside and I'm broken. And I'm like, this is unfixable. <laughs> it's unchangeable. As I negotiated with God, there was also a part of me that knew I would because I'd have to, but I kept avoiding it. And so here I am now doing a funeral service for this person that I didn't go speak to. I don't know where they are. I don't today know where they are eternally. I don't know. God's faithful to them. I know that. Okay, but please hear me. Dave's carrying this inside of himself, this brokenness of disobedience. I'm begging God to forgive me. And I know God forgives me. But I can't forgive myself. <laughs> and I'm like walking in this broken state of unforgiveness inside. Preaching, praying, reading my Bible, asking God to help me. And I'm living with this guilt and shame and brokenness of unforgiveness inside of me. And I won't release myself because I should know better. I know what it means to obey the Spirit of God. I know I need to do these things. And I'm sitting here making excuses not to do it. And now I'm broken and there's no way to fix what I've done. The only thing we do is beg God's forgiveness. And you know how many times we ask God to forgive and he's like, would you knock it off? You're forgiven. But I won't forgive myself. 
So the only way I can try and feel better is to ask him to forgive me because I need it fixed and it's broken. And the whole while, it comes right back to this. Love your neighbor as yourself. And I'm like, I'm not worthy. I don't deserve it. I deserve to be punished. And he's like, I forgive you. Dave, let it go. Church, I want to tell you today that some of us are holding things inside of us that God has already forgiven us of. As stupid as we were in the moment, as much as we knew better, we did it anyway. I want you to know God loves you. He forgives you. And you need to let it go. And I did. I let it go. And, and because of that experience in my life that was real and it happened I was more determined than ever to understand the spirit of God's leading, the surrender of myself, that I no longer would think of Dave's flesh, my uncomfortableness, that I would submit myself to the spirit, that whatever he asks me to do, I would do. Go sit down, mama. You're okay. Mama, go back there by Kim. You're okay. That's my mom. She's okay. You're okay, mom. Go back there by Kim. You're okay. Here, you take her, baby. It's okay. She's been struggling a little bit with her uh, her mind and stuff. So talking about not willing, she thinks she can't be forgiven and stuff just because her mind's a little messed up. So I'm just telling you right now, as we're talking about this and the forgiveness that God brings to us, okay, church, when we have to let that go and we have to release that so that God himself can heal us. And so that when we experience the love of God for self, that we can then love other people the way God loves them. Because you see, when I was harboring that inside, I wasn't harboring it, I was holding it because I wanted to hold myself accountable. I began to become more um, rough. I became more uh, harsh. I became more legalistic because I was trying to fix something inside of me that I couldn't fix. And so finally when I released that and I said, yes, God, I forgive myself and I receive your love as undeserving as I am (laughs) of anything, I'll let that go. And I had to because I can't change it. Church, I want you to know everyone in this room has some things we wish we could change that we could fix in other people and in self, and it's done. So what happens is we have to deal with today, right here, right now. And I've got to release people that I'm holding by the throat, and I have to release myself because I can't hold myself by the throat either. It's just as wrong. And so when I live in the forgiveness that God has given to me, God gives me freedom, and God loves me. So as we continue to grow in our faith and we're praying, we're reading, we're we're doing devotions, we're worshiping God and God is bringing this to our heart and our mind and we're walking with him. Somebody in the church may offend you. Well, no, let me just say it this way. People in the church are gonna offend you because they're people. I'm gonna offend you. I want you to know right now, I I will not intentionally offend you. I may intentionally taunt you. (laughs) but I I won't intentionally offend you all right (laughs) sorry you do have to forgive me you know so 
Why y'all leaving, man? We're not done. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I'm not offended, and I forgive you. All right, so, <laughs> all right, so people in the church are going to offend you. Stuff's going to happen. People are going to do stuff that's going to mess you up, right? Come on, seriously, it's going to happen. All right, so when it happens, I, I want you to I want you to understand something. We cannot hold that. We can't hold that. And I'm telling you, it's a plague in the church where someone's offended me or someone's done something or not done something, and I'm holding them accountable even in the church. And it is amazing today if the Spirit of God would reveal to us, I'm not talking about to all of us, I'm saying to us, how many people we hold by the throat because of what they've done or not done for, to, by, whatever you want to call it. Church, it's all over the place, and God's like, really? You know what I've forgiven you of? And you're going to hold them by the throat because they looked at you funny? Or even, maybe, they talked about you behind your back. So what? So what? All right, so now we're going to hold them accountable because you think they're still... I mean, come on, man. There's somebody talking over there and they glance at you, so you know they're talking about you. And if they are, so what? Give them something to talk about. <laughs> Do it for Jesus, man. You know, I, I mean, we're like so, like so easily offended and then we harbor these things and we're looking at other people. Look, there's some real offenses. Don't misunderstand me. It's not all light stuff. There's stuff that's harsh in the church too and people get hurt and they do talk about people and there's little, I hate the word clicks. I tell people, just please don't say that word to me about the church. It drives me nuts. Okay, and here's the thing. There's people that are friends. It's okay that they're friends. It's okay that they talk together. It's okay that they go to lunch and you're not included. You're not their friend. Okay, I mean, I'm being serious, man. You got your friends? Be thankful for them. And if you don't have any, start being nice. And then you'll have a friend. All right? I mean, for real. Maybe you start loving people and not holding them by the throat. And that group may grow. I don't know. All right? So anyway, let's just not get lost. I don't want to get way off here. So... All right, so we, we, this, uh, the resentments that we can hold towards other individuals. Um, let, let's, let's look at this thing that Jesus is talking about in, in this, this talk to us about um, not so life-impacting wrongs. Okay, that's, that's the focus of what we're talking about in this unforgiveness. Because, you know, when I come to those crisis moments where I hated my dad, sorry, Mom, don't listen to that, but I mean, I did. I hated my father as a kid. It's not his fault. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, I held that inside of me. I didn't like him because of who he was, the way he treated my mom, the way he lived his life, his presence. And I could tell you a list of things I didn't like about him. And that dislike for him grew into a hatred. And God was like, really, Dave? Really? You need to forgive your father and love him. And so through multiple times where God brings me to these major crisis moments where I had to forgive my father, and then he's telling me, now that you've forgiven him, you need to love him. And it's like, ugh. But I forgive him. 
No, you need to love him. Okay, so you know I've talked about that. So we walk through those things, and it's like those are the crisis moments. And I'm afterwards when you release that, you're like, "Woo, that's amazing!" Oh, thank you, God, for that peace. And you keep walking with God, and He's like, "What about this?" And it never ends. I just want you to know it never ends. But because we celebrate these giant moments where we receive forgiveness. Sometimes we can gloss over those littler ones that we hold on to. And those are the ones that are the dangerous ones that Jesus is talking about. Not the millions of dollars, the thousands or the hundreds or the tens or the singles. That's the offenses that can be dangerous to the believer. We can find ourselves in the role of the unforgiving servant before you know it. Walking out of here celebrating because God's forgiven me. And as we walk out of church celebrating, finding something around me to be offended by and begin to hold them accountable for that thing there. Jesus said it in Matthew 7, do not judge others and you will not be judged. The world knows this verse. I cannot tell you how many people share this with me. <laughs> it's one of the most quoted verses of the Bible, but they don't, they don't complete the process. It's just telling you, leave me alone. That's all people want to hear. Just leave me alone. Do not judge others and you will not be judged. Jesus didn't stop there. Hear me, church. Listen to the full context of the teaching. Do not judge others and you will not be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. Uh-oh. Now we're starting to see a little another layer. We're going to go a little deeper here. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own eye? How can you think of saying to your friend, yeah, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. So let's consider the standard we hold others to. All right? Think about it for a minute. When you see other people... It is easy to see what they're doing wrong. <laughs> Man, I could help them be a better Christian. I, I can tell them what they need to stop doing and what they need to start doing, and their witness would grow. Okay? I know that they'd be a better Christian if... Fill in the blank. So we have this, right? We have this. What are the parameters that you use to determine if someone is a believer or not? What are those parameters? So someone says, I'm a Christian. You go to work and there's one day you've known this person for a while and all of a sudden something about church comes up and they say, I'm a Christian. And the first thing you're thinking is, you? <laughs> uh-huh. What are the parameters we use? How is it that we have this standard already set about what you're supposed to be like if you're a Christ follower? And we don't use that same standard for ourselves. This is what Jesus is talking to us about. So the exercise that I want to do is for everybody to get a little three by five card out and write the definition of a Christian down for me. And then I want to get those and I want to try and find you. <laughs> I'm, re 
I know it's not you. Let me go over here and find. <laughs> All right. Because you see, this is what Jesus is talking to us about. We have this, this standard, this parameters that we put on people, we project about what you're supposed to be like. This is not to say that everyone's okay and leave them alone. It's not what he's telling us. That's what everybody wants to do. They want you to say, leave me alone. I'm fine. We're good. Don't judge me. God's my only judge. He's going to judge me, and I'm okay. No, you're not. We need to understand the full context of what he's saying. And it's not like, hey, everybody, let, let's all get together and lower the standard so God just lets us all in. That's not it either. Okay, that's not what it's talking about. So it's not about leaving them alone. What Jesus is actually telling us is, you need to examine yourself first. That's exactly what he said to us. Examine yourself first. And when you first get rid of your own issues, then help your brother or sister with their issue. So you're supposed to help other people with their issue. You're supposed to help them grow and be more Christ-like. But you've got to make sure that your own issues are submitted and that you're clean with God and you're walking in full obedience before you ever deal with them. But you deal with them. Okay, so it's not just everybody back off and we're all okay. It's not what it's saying. All right, so what is the standard for living a Christian life? What is the standard of being a believer? What is it? It's Christ-like. The Word of God tells us. So the standard of being a believer is actually to be Christ-like. Do you measure up? Ephesians chapter 4. Let me help us walk into this fullness of the Spirit of God leading us and creating within us this Christ-like maturity that the Spirit of God brings upon us. And in Ephesians chapter 4, we start verse 11. This is our, these verses we've selected as our discipleship process, which drives uh, us as a church to try and help all of us become what God's asked us to become. Just so you're clear. Ephesians 4. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. So when I read that statement, I'm going to stop a few times to clarify some things because sometimes in the Christian community, we hear certain words and we, have, we already attribute them to certain things like the spiritual gifts. And that's not what is being talked about here. He said that the, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. And then he goes on and he says, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. These are the gifts Christ has given to the church. So what he's telling us is the fivefold offices of those in leadership in the community of faith are gifts that God has given us for a distinct purpose. Now, to clarify that for us even further, today in the church, we have one title for everybody, and it's called pastor, which we see that name in there. Okay, but when you look at what is being talked about here in the spiritual context, there are specific offices by which God has called people to fill those roles as apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastors, and teachers. We in the, the modern church just call everybody a pastor. That doesn't mean they're not what Jesus is talking about here. We've just given them that title. So I'm your pastor. Pastor George does discipleship. He's your pastor. Pastor Chris is a pastor, and he's working with home groups. Pastor Stephen's a pastor because he's working with the youth and young adult. And we just give everybody the same name. All right? But I want you to understand this. Please, church, hear me. The reason why we started doing this is because we're afraid of some of the context of what this means and who these people are supposed to be. 
So again, when we say we're afraid of the Spirit of God, we're also afraid to fill these ideas in our mind of saying, oh, so God's appointed an apostle. What is that? What's a prophet? What does that mean? What is the full context of that? We're a lot more comfortable with evangelists, pastors, and teachers. We know exactly what they do. So we'd rather stay there. I want you to know that even though you call me pastor, I actually exercise in one of these other gifts, and I don't even tell you what it is, but it's who I am. It's not that I'm a pastor. Now, I'm not telling you that for any other reason, but for us to get the fullness of what Jesus is trying to teach us as a church. As a body of believers, what is God doing and what is he saying here? Jesus said, I'm giving you a gift and it's these vocational pastoral leaders, these individuals that are going to help you in your walk of faith. So check this out. This is what it says. Their responsibility, all five of them, they have one responsibility, all five of them, even though they may come at it from a different perspective and a different context and a different way of doing it, they all have one context and responsibility called by God to do it. Here's what it is. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work and build up the church, the body of Christ. Church, it's my job to tell you, get going. It's my job to tell you you need to live a spirit-led life. It's my job to tell you that you need to grow in your faith. You need to forgive people. You need to walk in the fullness of the Spirit of God. And you need to live this life outside the church. Now, I'm going to tell you, it's not just for me to tell you to do that. i got to do it myself. As I read what the Word of God says then, let's keep going. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. There's your standard, Christ-likeness. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps all the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Isn't that amazing? That's beautiful, man. That's the, that's the church. When you read the book of Acts, that's what you see happening. That's exactly what was going on. The apostles were leading the people and teaching them in the commandments of Christ. The people were going home and having people come over to the house for dinner. They were talking to their neighbors about Jesus. People's lives were being transformed and changed. They were being radically saved, coming to the church, being baptized, being part of the body of Christ. This is exactly what he tells us we're supposed to be doing. This is how it happens. This is how a city like Tucson can be changed. That's how our communities can be changed. Our schools can be changed. The, the, the judicial system, our prisons, our, everything can be changed, church. It all happens because we become the body of Christ, living our faith out there in the community, being the body of Christ. Exactly like he said. Man, it's amazing. And you know how that happens? Forgiveness. <laughs> See, 
The Christ-like love and maturity that we're talking about is grounded in forgiveness. Not only in my forgiveness, but in your forgiveness and my forgiveness of you and my forgiveness of myself. That's where it's grounded. That's where God wants to take us, church. And he wants us to become that fully functioning body of Christ. Now, we're all at different levels of maturity. We are. Some of us should be more mature than others. Some of us should be immature. Not all of us. And as we are maturing in our walk with God through obedience to the Spirit, we're growing and God is bringing something to our mind about forgiveness. So here's your action steps. There's going to be a little bit of time here. You know that sometimes. That happens most times. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Do you know Him? If you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you need to know Him today. The Spirit-led life is for everyone. The fullness of life is for everyone, and it can only be found through Jesus Christ. He loves you, and He desires you to be forgiven and made whole with Him. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, how is God maturing you through the challenges of those around you? All right, so this is the way God wants us to see this. So the challenges, the offenses, the people that are all around my life, God will use those situations. He's not making or creating those situations. He will use those situations to mature you in your faith. He's saying, will you forgive that person at work who constantly is talking about you, who's always dumping their stuff on you? Will you forgive them? Will you love them? Will you show me to them by being the example that I want you to be? Will you forgive that person that legitimately hurt you, that offended you? Will you leave them in my hands and allow me to deal with them and you set yourself free by doing so? Will you do that? What is it that you simply want that other person to pay for? It's a way for us to begin to assess our hearts right now, seriously. What is that that you simply want that other person to pay for? That's your hand on their throat right there. That's your hand on their throat right there. And you need to identify that so that you can let that go and let God deal with it, okay? What would you hold them accountable for if you could? What forgiveness do you need to offer today? Do you need to forgive yourself? Do you need to forgive others? Do you need to forgive? Church, I mean, this got to happen. This is the next step in our walk together as the body of Christ. This is the next step God wants to lead us in in the spirit-led life. And so I am inviting you right now to stand with me. And then I'm going to ask you if you need to forgive yourself or someone else that you would make your way forward to this altar and that you would leave whoever needs to be left at the altar taking your hands off the throat and saying, God, it's all you. It's all you. Everyone here. It's all you. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, thank you, Lord. Thank you. So here we are. If it's you that needs to be forgiven, let yourself go right now. Just give yourself to Jesus and say, Lord, I, I forgive myself. I'm done. You have forgiven me, so I forgive myself as well. I release that into your hands. 
from this day forward, God, I'm free. If it's others that have offended you or something else that God's brought to your mind right now, you need to release them. I mean, just visually take your hands off their throat. Say, God, they're in your hands. I release them. I forgive. It's in your hands now, Lord. You will take care of them. I know you will. I leave them to you. God, I let it go. God, I walk in your fullness. I want to be the man or woman of God that you died to make me, that I might walk in the fullness of the Spirit as a Christ follower. Thank you, God. We're going to leave it here today. Right here. We're going to walk out in victory, walk out in forgiveness, walk out in love, and we're going to live it this week. So, before you go, God gave us me a conversation with someone after the second service there to make sure that I bring this point to you. We forgive ourselves and we forgive others. We're going to walk out of here and the tempter is going to try and bring that back to us. He's going to. And he's going to try and bring it to you. So here's what you got to do. is you, Now we're going to exercise our faith. And now we're going to say, no, that's, that's done. I've given that to God. I'm forgiven. They're forgiven. I release it. But now we're going to act in our faith and we're going to practice exactly what Jesus told us to do. And now I'm going to bless those who curse me. And I'm going to love the unlovable. Because Jesus said the true test of our Christianity is the way we love the unlovable. It's easy to love those who love us. So he said, you love them and then you bless them that curse you. So now when that temptation comes to take that back on, we're saying, God, I bless that person. I ask you in Jesus' name to work in their life, to move on them, give them an abundant life. God, I ask you to move on them. All right, that's an engaging your faith in the fullness of what God has for us, okay? So that's for you if you're the one that needs that forgiveness and it's for them if they're the ones that need forgiveness. So just bless yourself if you have to. Seriously, God bless me in this walk with the fullness of who you are that I might live in the fullness of the Spirit, the righteous life you've called me to live that I might be an effective witness for you. Church, when we do this, we can't help but impact Tucson. We can't help but see people get impacted by the gospel. So let's go do it. You're dismissed. Let's go live that life out there. Amen. God bless you. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.